Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about retirement readiness, strategies to help you grow and preserve your wealth so that you get the most from life with the money you do have. Are you on track? John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. What if you could give to your favorite charity, church, or nonprofit in a way that not only helped you get the tax deduction, but also did it in a way that's easy and efficient and processed everything online? Well, hey everyone, it's John Chapman. In light of the end of the year, you may be working on tax planning strategies or thinking about charitable giving. And in today's episode, we talk specifically about using a donor advised fund. And joining me to talk about this is my guest, Kyle Casarino, who's a vice president and charitable planning consultant at Fidelity Investments. On today's episode, we dive deep into how you can incorporate a donor advised fund to simplify your charitable giving. But we also talk about some unique tax planning opportunities for possibly giving away shares of stock that may have increased greatly in your brokerage accounts over the years in order to avoid the capital gains and still get the tax deduction as well as the potential for closely held small businesses to consider gifting away portions of their private company either during their work or prior to selling their business. So whether you're sitting on a large concentrated asset or you just wanna simplify your giving strategy, Today is going to be a great podcast episode. As a reminder, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can leave a comment or rating and share with a friend, or you can email me directly at thejohnchapmanshow at gmail.com. With that, let's dive into today's episode. Donor advised funds seem to be an area that's a really powerful tool, but not many people know about that and know how to implement on a donor advised fund. Kyle, can you share with us just a little about what's the background? How would you define a donor advised fund? Yeah, so uh, although that donor advised funds you know, are, might not be very well recognized across the, across the country, they have risen a lot in the last seven years. So we had in about 2013, which when I started at Fidelity Charitable, there were about 225,000 donor advised funds in America. That number in just seven years has grown to over a million. Amazing. So individuals are definitely realizing a lot more about, you know, on the family level and also on the corporate level as well about the different uses of applications and overall, you know, giving through the, through a donor advised fund program. But really what the account structure allows individuals to do is just to separate the timing of their income tax deductions when they actually have to give money out to charity. Oh, and by the way, the assets are growing in the account tax-free. Hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, if you take a step back, if you're an individual that um, is even supporting charities at a smaller level, I mean, most, most people use it as an administrative tool. Okay. Right? So instead of giving out to the 30 different charities every year, right. you're giving $50 here, $100 there, donors will make one gift into their account. So at tax time, they hand their CPA one tax receipt instead of, 30 different tax receipts and having to check that against your register, it's, it's cumbersome. Yeah. So it sounds like the donor advised fund, one of the main purposes of it, or one of the main benefits of it is it sounds like a, just efficiency. You get to be able to have one check in, but then multiple checks out. So instead of having to scribble, you know, multiple different $100 gifts to different charities, you just go in one time. And so is that the time when someone receives the income tax deduction, when they put the first large check into the donor advised fund account? Exactly. Right. So you put dollars into the account. It's almost like you gave those funds to the Red Cross or the Salvation Army from a tax perspective. 
donors get the same tax treatment. Gifts into the account are 100% tax deductible, and donors can reduce their income every year by, it's up to 60% for cash giving, and then 30% for giving appreciated assets. Appreciated assets are a little bit lower, but there's that second benefit of the elimination of capital gains. And that, John, is really, I mean, that's almost sometimes more of a benefit than reducing your income because, hey, if you bought Apple stock 10 years ago at $100 and now it's at $500, you're paying capital gains tax on that $400 of appreciation. That's kind of a huge hit. Hmm, hmm. So let's talk about that because I think that's even more of an area that's less well known. So you're saying that instead of just writing checks, like that's what no, someone would normally do, you know, to Red Cross or to your church, you'd write $2,000 as a check. And so the donor advised fund can be used for that $2,000 first and then send it to the charities. But you're saying that also appreciated assets, which I guess assets is a large term. So maybe we can define that more. But one easy example, let's say is like an Apple stock. So you don't have to pay the capital gains on the growth, and you get an income tax deduction, assuming that it's under 30% of your gross income? Right, well, you think, let's take a step back and think about what you have to do to even give cash to charity, right? Okay. You have to either earn it as income and work for it, pay income yeah. tax on it, or you have to sell an appreciated asset and pay capital gains tax on it. Good point. The, the better story for individuals is, hey, like I bought Apple stock for $1,000, now it's worth 5,000. It's only cost me $1,000 to fund this $5,000 worth of giving, and by the way, now you get a $5,000 deduction. So you, you, if you look at it from that perspective, it's way more efficient to give appreciated assets. And Amazing. when you look at appreciate, when you, when you mentioned, you know, what, what that kind of ranges from Apple stock, appreciated publicly traded stock that's been held for a year or more, usually a majority of the gifts that we get are in that form, right? Mm, Where okay. individuals that made a, maybe made an investment years ago or inherited stock from the generation yeah. above them and they look at it in their portfolio at the time and they're thinking to themselves, well, hey, like I don't want to sell because it it's done so well. But at the same time, if I do sell it, I'm going to have a huge tax bill and increase my income this year. So what ends up happening is that it turns into a concentrated position or, you know, exactly. somebody basically holds onto it for too long. And the reality is, is you could be funding your charities through that asset that you otherwise would have just wrote checks for and been more in inefficient, I guess. Oh, that's me. Well, so on, on the, you know, as a financial planner, when I put my financial planning cap on, this seems like such a no brainer tool to be able to use, because like you said, you, you get to avoid the capital gains. It's like you're funding $5,000 of gifting with a $1,000 contribution and you get the ordinary income tax deduction on it. So what do you see as the friction? Cause obviously not many people, even though it's grown, still few households are aptly impl implementing on it. So is it just an education gap, Kyle? What do you think? Is there any other friction that's getting in the way of people actually implementing on this with their appreciated stock? You know, it's, it's definitely has to do with education. I think there's a lot of individuals that get used to their ways and are used to writing the checks out to the church every month and, and have that in their mind. But I think when you flip the switch and you realize like, hey, there's a lot of tax benefits behind doing it and it'll actually make people's lives easier. There's just a lot of, a lot of applications with it. And just, just to give you a perspective of our demographic, so our average donor age is about 62 and a half, which goes okay. to show you that it's usually right on the doorstep of retirement when people start to accounts, okay. right? Like you're going into retirement, your last few pretty good sized earning years, Right. this is the time to make the gift because you can actually take the deduction before you just start basically taking out RMDs from your IRA or whatever the case may be, your income drops. That's the time to do it because, hey, you're still making good money, last couple of years to do it, why not pre-fund your retirement's worth of giving, just like you've been contributing to your 401k 
right? That's no a, difference there. Great point, Kyle. Yeah, you're right. I just want to be able to reiterate that back because I think that's such an awesome thing to think about. Those high earning years right on the cusp, the doorstep of retirement. Let's just say somebody that works at a, at a company as an executive or something like that. Those might be really high earning years for them. And if they hope to still do the normal giving in retirement that they had been in their working years, they could start to plan for that ahead of time, if I'm understanding you right. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about somebody that's an executive, let's, let's think, even look at a publicly traded company, mm. right? They have, if they've worked there for 10, 15, 20 years, or even their whole career, all of a sudden they look at their, maybe their total portfolio or their total mm. asset base. And now 25, maybe a third of their entire Definitely. net worth is tied up in their company stock, right? So this is not only a way to start harnessing the value of appreciation for charitable giving, but also as a way to start dwindling down some of their some of their equity compensation yeah. awards and interest, right? So if you're gotcha. somebody that has exercised and have, have gone through, you know, vested restricted stock awards and, and restricted stock units, and you're holding a bunch of that in, in an account, you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, it's great that I've been able to work for this company for so long, but you're leaving yourself pretty exposed if that's how much, you know, as part, part mm. of your net worth, that's how much you own. Hmm. So how does the, in 2018, when Tax Cuts and Jobs Act came into play, that really increased the amount of standard deduction. And so I think a lot of people were surprised that their one-off giving, they couldn't get a deduction for. And of course, maybe people did giving because their heart was motivated to. It wasn't just the tax benefit, but the tax benefit is, it's, it's an integral part of it. And so if we want to be smart about it, how did you see that impact the, the use of donor advised funds after 2018? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it completely changed the game for us. At the end of the day, you can take a step back and realize what Tax Cuts and Job Act really did for a lot of folks. And just to put it into perspective, there's about a third of the households in America that were itemizing under the previous tax code that could no longer, you know, that could no longer do it. So really what you look at is three things that they kept around from a deduction perspective. State and local taxes, that's yep. property tax, that's SALT. Yep. capped at $10,000 for individuals. Yep. But the other two is mortgage interest and charitable yep. giving. Those are yep. the only other real popular deductions that you can use now. So if you're somebody that's in that demographic, right? Maybe you're 50 year older, getting close to retirement, maybe you don't have a mortgage. You have to give away $14,000 a year if you're married, filing jointly, just to take the same tax deductions if you didn't give away a penny. So mm -hmm. the number of accounts that we saw open and funded with what's called this bunching strategy or front loading, you're giving where somebody will put in, let's say three to five years worth of giving into their account, itemize that year, take the standard deductions in years two, three, four, et cetera, all the while they do their same charities at the same they always have. It's, it, it, the other thing about what happens for somebody that would have to do, what, what's the other option for somebody that wants mm. the tax benefits for giving? You go to your church and say, hey, you're going to get $20,000 this year, but don't expect a gift from me for another four years. That will never happen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I think you bring up another interesting topic, which is the amount of time that the money can stay inside the donor advised fund. So for someone that's new to this, they're thinking in the old paradigm, I write the check, the charity gets it, that's it. But in here, we're talking about an in-between step. So let's talk about on the back end, once money gets pulled in there, let's say they do this bunching strategy. So year one, they put in $30,000, just as an example, and they're, they're planning to do standard deductions for the next two or three years before doing this again. You know, what's the time frame? Can that money stay in the bucket before it needs to be given out? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. So really, there's no minimum dollar value or percentage that has to leave the donor advised fund every year which is actually gives donors a lot of flexibility. I mean, there's a lot of alternatives to lifetime giving vehicles like private foundations that have to give out 5% per year. This doesn't force donors to do it. And we see it a lot with donors that are maybe in their 
middle working years, you know, they're still in the accumulation stage of their lives. And at, in reality, they haven't given too much thought about charitable giving, but they know that they need to do this as a tax, as a tax play. So what mm. they'll do is they'll front load their giving and the assets while they're in the account grow tax free. So mm. the idea is, is, Hey, like if you're thinking about this more longer term, while the assets are growing, hopefully you're able to make a few free gifts out of the account or support your charities at a larger level than mm. if you're just writing checks to them. Um, mm. It makes it so that it gives donors flexibility. There is no real shot clock they have to do it by, but even without, without those types of parameters, our donors actually give out between about 195 and 21.5% of our net assets every single year, Got four it. times the amount of a requirement for a foundation. So even without that, donors are really thinking pretty philanthropically with this account because, hey, you can't spend it elsewhere. Okay. All right. Interesting. So I think another thing, really interesting point that you brought up is that once the money goes inside of the donor advised fund, maybe an easy way to think about it is like a Roth IRA, but not quite, you know, and we're not giving tax advice, of course, but you put in the 30,000 and you can choose to invest it somehow so that it could grow from, let's say in the interim period before you actually give it out, it can grow from 30 to 35,000. So you've also got 5,000 of growth. Is there any tax benefits when you give out that growth money, that $5,000? in the future? So there's no tax benefit back to the donor, but it's the, really the benefit goes back to the, the philanthropic endeavors that they're mm. participating in, mm. right? Because all the growth in there is protected. It's a, we're a 501c3 public charity. So all the growth actually happens to be tax-free. So in that $5,000 of gain, it's not like a trust account where if you were to maybe sell an asset like that, you're having to pay you know, capital gains tax on that. It's just more money to charity over time. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Wow, that's really fascinating. So it sounds like then a majority of households that are using the donor advised fund are switching to using this bunching strategy, but maybe something else that might occur. Let's just say there's a, a large liquidation event. There's a selling a business. There's a vesting of a large number of shares or selling a large number of shares. So how else do you see the donor advised funds for, for somebody that have maybe a, a one-off very large spike in their ordinary income one year? Mm -hmm. Well, let's start with the idea of, of closely held business owners, right? Private business owners, which actually ends up being a majority of individuals that have types of accounts with us. And what okay. they'll do is on the doorstep of, let's say, a liquidity event, whether that's a strategic buyer or a private equity firm making an investment or if they're selling just to another, another company, what ends up happening, a lot of donors in the past would end up, they go through the liquidity event, they go to their accountant and the accountant comes back and says, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you should give away $5 million this year because it will really offset some of this, some of this income that you have to pay tax on. Okay. Well, that ends up being a cash gift. And we talked about the inefficiencies of doing so, but let's take a step back with the right planning. If you're doing that pre-tax before the sale takes place, it's just like giving appreciated securities, but on a bigger level, because chances are, if you've started your own business, your cost basis is probably zero. zero. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you're a California resident, you're paying 13.3% state tax, almost 23, 24% federal. It's like 37% off the proceeds basically of your sale. Take a, if you take a step back and do, and do it the right way, you can give $5 million pre-tax and well, don't pay capital gains on that $5 million. You take the $5 million deduction, the same as if you gave cash after the fact. And now as somebody in that position, you have more money in your pocket at the end mm. of the sale. So for somebody that's scratching their head and, and is worried that that is requires a lot of paperwork that requires, you know, special legal counsel and all of this stuff, like how difficult or not is it for somebody to actually implement on that? 
you know, it's really, it's, it's not too bad if you're motivated to do so. So really what I, I guess the biggest obstacle for the donor is to get an independent appraisal, right? For cash and appreciated publicly traded stock, we do all that for donors, right? Easy enough, fair market value, average of the high and the low, pretty straightforward. But okay. for privately held business interests or anything non-publicly traded, real estate, cryptocurrency, any type of asset that's appreciated to that extent, donors will have to get their independent appraisal. And it's an out-of-pocket expense, but at the same time, ten dollars or $15,000 out-of-pocket is uh, nowhere near the tax savings that they have by doing this pre-tax. Mm -hmm. I think that's just another just mental hurdle to get over, though, is just the idea of give, gifting into the donor-advised fund privately held or you know closely held business or a private company stock or something like that. So is that just a matter of getting the business valuation and then having some other, like, I don't know, legal documents to be able to gift that into Fidelity's charitable account or a donor advice fund? Like how does the recipient, how does the donor advice fund then deal with that once it's gifted in? So we've been doing it for about 10 years now and it's, you'd be surprised about how the growth has been in this space. And last hmm. year we took in about $1.2 billion oh, worth of non-publicly traded assets. B as in boy, B with a billion. B as in boy. Yeah. So, you know, that brought us to over $7 billion life to date of these types of assets that we've accepted and monetized. So it's becoming more and more popular. And the nice part is too, especially if you have partners and there's a lot of individuals that are shareholders. When one donor does it, it's easy for other donors to get on board and do the same thing. Hmm. So maybe one donor goes through the legwork of providing us their operating agreement and all the due diligence documents. But if another donor, let's say like the CFO does this, and then the CEO wants to do the exact same thing for us, it's just, it's just a formality. You know, we hmm. make it easy for donors. And because of the fact that we've taken in so much of this, we've also built out a process that makes it super easy for folks to do it, including a stock transfer agreement, all the legal work that would normally come involved. Yeah. Okay. So let's, if we, if we shift gears again, just talking about somebody that's opening this day one and they're hoping to put in, you know, 10 to $20,000 or something like that, just talk through the sort of the basic mechanics of it. And maybe we'll, we'll pick on Fidelity since you worked there, obviously. So how does somebody go through the process of opening up the account and then linking any of their, you know, bank accounts or trading investment accounts? So really the process to do it can be all done online in today's world. So People, most, most individuals, most of our donors will just open the account online in about five minutes, just like how you'd open an individual investment account. Hmm. No real difference there. And then what a donor will do is that when they're ready to fund it, they can link their bank account as long as they have their information just online, or they could, you know, from an, if they want to give appreciated stock, they can actually fill out a form for us and we can initiate it with their outside broker. They have a Fidelity account. They can do it all online and just move the assets over. So pretty simple. And then you know, what we've had tried, tried to do is a majority of our donors are, are older, right? So mm -hmm. only about 8% of our donors are under the age of 40. Hmm. It, it's even smaller about, you know, I think about under a little bit under 20% are under the age of 50. So although our donor demographic is a little bit older in age, we still have tried to build up the technology to make it easy for folks. So yeah. the online interface, pretty straightforward. And we also put out recently an iPhone app that makes it so that donors can literally give from their fingertips. Because a lot of our donors come to us, especially when they set up their account and say, hey, when do I get my checkbook in the mail? And <laughs> yeah. we do have to verify naturally that grants leaving Fidelity Charitable are going to other 501c3 public charities. But the iPhone app allows somebody at a charity event or at a fundraiser to be able to point to maybe the development officer of the charity and say, hey, I just initiated a $5,000 grant for my account. Here's the confirmation right on my phone. So I'm just, this is so fun. I have to take a pause on this. I think this is really the cool area and kudos to Fidelity Charitable for getting the technology up and running. So, so once somebody creates it 
And once somebody, I want to get back to circle back to this, but they put money or cash or stock in there. Once they're, let's say during, you know, at, at a charity event and they want to start giving, all they have to do is go in and, you know, type in or type in the, the name of the charity or nonprofit or their, whatever the code is, you know, for that. And then they can just give it directly from their phone. And that's that. Am I understanding you right? Yeah. yeah. And we, so how the database works for us is that we get a direct feed from the IRS. Mm. So most 501c3 public charities are in there, except for ones that may be like religious houses of worship that have to go, you know, really smaller ones that have to go through a different process with the IRS. But for the most part, if you, if you recognize a charity, it's chance are it's in the database. Okay. Now for a donor that wants to give out, you know, they can do it as we talked about from their phone, but we last year, our donors gave to over 255,000 different charities in the U S mm. so, the scope is from charities that take in a few thousand dollars a year to charities that are have multi-billion dollar endowments mm. and everything in between. Mm. So there's really, from our perspective, you know, on the grant making side of things, which is the fun part about donor advised funds, there's really no restrictions or causes you can or can't give to as long as they're a 501 C three in the eyes of the IRS, they're usually good with us. So circling back again, let's say that somebody's holding their company stock at, let's say like a, an E-Trade or a Charles Schwab or a, a Merrill Lynch, something like that. Like I know that you know, a lot of publicly traded companies will, will have E-Trade, Schwab or, or Merrill hold their company stock. So what's the process for getting that stock from uh, you know, somewhere other than Fidelity? I mean, if it, if it existed at Fidelity, maybe that's a little bit easier, but if it was at a different institution, like how do, they, how do you go about connecting the dots to be able to send stock from one of these other custodians into the Fidelity charitable account? Yeah, so the first, the first thing, if you're, if you're in that type of role, if you're an executive at one of these companies, you first of all want to give assets like this during an open trading window, Good right? When they're, free, when they're freely tradable. And what, yeah. what the owner will do is they'll fill out a, you know, 144, 145 questionnaire with us We'll actually, we partner with Fidelity's Restricted Stock Services Group to work with the transfer agent or the custodian to make sure that there is no restrictions on the asset, that we can pull the shares over free and clear. And then when we do pull them over, that we can sell them, right? Mm. That, that's the goal here is we don't really want to take assets in during a closed window and just hold them because at mm. the end of the day, that doesn't really help the process, right? Mm. Donors want to be able to free up cash so that donors can give out to their favorite charities. So holding assets like that for us in kind for months doesn't really, you know, it, it okay. defeats the So donor fills out the paperwork. We work with the transfer agent or the custodian of where the assets are. Shares get here free and clear and we sell them. Okay. And we see a lot of donors do this in conjunction with 10B51 plans that are becoming more and more popular, where it's not necessarily built into it, but it's a structured sell down that you're planning out every year. So donors yeah. can be more thoughtful with their giving, right? They're saying, hey, I know that I'm selling X number of shares a year or I know I'm going to be generating X number of dollars in capital gains, this is a way to offset it. So, and that's, you bring up another really important point, which is people should know that once the money, let's say once the stock share, let's say you're moving a thousand shares of company XYZ into the donor advised fund, it doesn't live there as that company stock once it goes inside the fund, it gets converted into some other type of investments or, or cash, is that right? Yeah, exactly. And we, when we, you know, our goal is to monetize assets like that very quickly. You know, we don't play the market. We don't hold on to assets like that for a long time. Okay. The idea is that we monetize them and then they're either reinvested into, we have a, a suite of 23 mutual funds, or if a donor has an investment advisor that they'd like to nominate to actually manage their account, just like how they would manage their trust okay. or retirement assets, they can, they can also do that at higher levels. Okay. And what's the bare minimum dollar amount that needs to go in to be able to open up the account? And is there any just ongoing account maintenance fees that live inside the donor advised fund? 
So the minimum to start an account we recommend is $5,000. And that's because our minimum fee every year is $100 for 60 basis points, whichever is greater. So the, usually the break even point is about $16,600 and change, mm. um, where donors then after that dollar value are paying the 0.6% per year instead yeah. of the $100. Cool. Um, our minimum grant size leaving the account is just $50 in value. So wow. that's where- Very small. A lot of our donors, like especially ones that are older in age that will just write checks in normal time to every charity that sends them something in the mail, right? Yeah. That, that type of donor really benefits- Makes me think of my grandparents. Account. Yeah. Right. And that donor <laughs> yeah. will benefit from this type of account because in, in prior times, they would have to make sure that they got a receipt back from the charity for 50 bucks and check their register and they, or the credit card payments they're doing online. It's like, you're, you're creating a paper trail where you're leaving money on the table from a tax perspective. Okay. Got it. So before we wrap up, Kyle, talk a little bit about just what your personal experience has been. How long have you been working with Fidelity Charitable and what, what's your day-to-day -day type operations like? Mm -hmm. So I've been at Fidelity Charitable since 2013. My current role right now is I'm our planning consultant for the Southern California region. So Really what I do is I partner with everyone from investment advisors to CPAs, attorneys, family offices to help their clients give more efficiently, to identify opportunities for them to start maybe harnessing the power of appreciation like we talked about before and targeting assets that are maybe better to give than just standard day protocol. My role you know, involves working with a lot of advisors who then work with their clients or working with clients directly to essentially open and fund donor advised funds and give to charities the way that they you know, can better do so. And hmm. uh, in my time here, I've probably just myself seen about somewhere in the five and a half to $6 billion of contributions coming into our, our program. Wow, amazing. It's a huge number and it's great to see. And just to give you a perspective about just donor advised funds as a whole is that the assets in them have pro are probably over about $125 billion in current day. Oh. We at Fidelity Charitable represent about 35 billion of those. Wow. And our donors are giving out every year. Last year was about 7.3 billion Amazing. increase from 5.2 the last, you know, the last year. And uh, charities, you know, that sponsor donor advice funds are giving out over $25 billion a year. So it, it's just a, it's a great industry to be a part of. And I mean, it's an awesome Awesome, man. Kudos to you for your hard work and for doing this and for spreading the word to get education. It's just an area that I feel passionate about. I want to be able to share with my friends and family and clients. So Kyle, I'm really appreciative that you came on today. Is there anything that you feel like we haven't yet touched on that you want to be able to share with the audience? You know, I think that at the end, at the end of the day, when you're thinking about charitable giving as an individual, like it, you sometimes are you're caught in a situation where you're doing the same thing every year, but you have to maybe take a step back and realize that there are probably better ways to do things, mm. right? And it's not only from a tax perspective, but just to make your life easier. You know, it's like if you're even giving to more than one or two charities a year, you might as well take a step back and realize like, hey, what are other assets that I could give? Am I doing the right thing here? And at the, at the end of the day, I think that people, once they start opening these accounts and start using them and really getting the feel for it, it's like it becomes second nature in the new norm. Yeah. So, that's so I would just encourage folks that even if they're not ready to do something large, it's just to try it out, you know, put, put $5,000 in there, make a couple of grants and see how it goes. Now, I really, I really appreciate you having me on today though, John. Yeah, definitely. All right, Kyle. Well, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Talk to you soon. You too. Thanks for tuning in to the John Chapman show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.